I'm Kate Daniels. Healthy eating, healthy lifestyle equals health. Amy Riolo is an award-winning, best-selling author. She's a chef, a television personality, and Mediterranean diet advocate. Amy is passionate about food, healthy food, making it simple for us to create, to be delicious, and help us be healthy. One of the biggest causes of disease can easily be considered eating poorly in this country where we have so much food and information available. So Amy Riolo is here with her newest cookbook, The Mediterranean Diabetes Cookbook, to share important insights, one being this is great food and a great cookbook for each and every one of us. Amy Riolo, good morning. It is so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. This is so exciting, this brand new book of yours with the American Diabetes stamp of approval on it. But really, even though it has that, the Mediterranean Diabetes Cookbook is just something that with all the recipes and gorgeous pictures is really something that's perfect for each and every one of us, isn't it? Great. Thank you. Yes, that's exactly how I think. You know, these are the foods that I eat. I don't have diabetes myself, but it's just a great, healthful, kind of low-fat way for everybody to eat, uh, regardless of what your current health goals are. It'll really help to keep you in shape and help you to be able to enjoy a Mediterranean lifestyle here in the United States. And that's the interesting thing that you're considered one of the many accolades and ways of reading about you. You are considered a Mediterranean lifestyle advocate. So just give us kind of a, an overall view of what that means, Amy. Sure. Well, you know, the Mediterranean diet was named the best overall diet uh, last year in 2019 uh, by the U.S. News and World Reports. And it's easy to follow. You know, it's not really a diet. It is a lifestyle. So the great thing about the Mediterranean lifestyle is you don't have to give anything up. You don't have to say, you know, I'm never going to have sugar again, or I'm never going to have wheat again, or I'm never going to have dessert again, or meat, or anything. You could incorporate all kinds of things into your diet, but it just requires in terms of actual eating that you eat the most of what's good for you, like the plant-based foods, and that you eat the least of things like meat and sugars and other types of things. So um, it's very flexible, and that's one of the great benefits because people don't have to make sacrifices. You can enjoy you know, great foods in delicious ways and kind of put them together however you want. It gives people a lot of freedom, and regardless of your lifestyle or you know, particular ethnic background or foods that you enjoy, the Mediterranean lifestyle works within that. It's also that before we even talk about food, you know, for considering the Mediterranean lifestyle, we should be thinking about exercising and enjoying meals with others. There's a lot of socialization that's very important in the Mediterranean lifestyle. And I think it's just the base. And literally a few decades ago, Old Ways has created a pyramid. They worked with the World Health Organization and the Harvard School of Public Health to come up with this pyramid, which kind of helps Americans to understand what the Mediterranean diet is all about. So at the base of this pyramid is exercising and eating, enjoying meals with others. And then the next tier up, which is the biggest one, is plant-based foods, because of course those should be the majority of our diet. So fresh fruits, vegetables, legumes, herbs, spices, olive oil, things like that, nuts, beans should be making up the majority of our diet. And then the next tier from that is fish and seafood, which also plays a big role in the Mediterranean lifestyle. And then dairy, poultry, eggs, things like that. And then the next, the very final tier, the top of the pyramid is our meats and sweets because they're the things that we're supposed to be eating the least of. We can still have them, but, you know, once a week, really kind of sparingly as a treat, not as a kind of daily sustenance and, and tradition. 
So those are kind of the basic tenets. And so what I do is to be considered a Mediterranean diet advocate or ambassador, as they sometimes call me, is really promote that philosophy and those tenets within my work, whether it's a cooking class or a culinary tour or my cookbooks, to help people to be able to understand it, to interpret it, to make it very easy for people here. Because, you know, when you go, of course, to a remote island or a beautiful place that's, you know, just begging to you have no choice other than to eat local fresh food, it's very easy. But for us, a lot of us in the United States, it can be a little bit more difficult. We actually have to put some thought into it. And we have to create a strategy for ourselves to be able to enjoy this lifestyle. And a lot of it has to do with just thoughts, you know, the way we think about food, the way our emotions are around food, which are very easy switches. For example, thinking of food as, you know, a problem, to think of it as a friend and an ally that can help you to achieve optimal health, that's a big step. And so I like to help people with those things. And so thinking of the lifestyle, and you were mentioning the exercise, of course, being fundamental, but then also the time spent with others, with family, with friends, that seems to be a real big part of it. And maybe we often lose sight of it, but this might be a great time to really pump that up and get moving in that direction. It really is. You know, a few months ago, I had a press release come out about that, and I like to talk about people eating humanly and also give people ways in which they can eat communally because our modern culture is very much based upon a lot of people being alone. And there are a lot of people who are alone. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that if that's a lifestyle choice. But within being alone, there can still be times when we set up meals with others and, you know, constant contact type thing where we know. Because and the reason this is important is because they've actually done research in a lot of these blue zones where people are living, you know, well into their hundreds with relatively no physical ailment type thing and at a huge percentage rate. And one of the things they find is that they believe that because of these psychological benefits of eating communally and having people that they can confide in daily, that that's kind of the backbone and the basis of a lot of this lifestyle and also enable the diet to work kind of thing. Because psychologically, people know, you know, at a certain time every day, I'm going to get together with either friends or coworkers or villagers or whatever and enjoy a meal. And it has a, a calming effect on our emotions. So, and that affects how we digest food and incorporate nutrients in our bodies and things like that. So I actually give people alternatives, you know, on my blog and in this press release and in the book, I like to talk about, okay, you know, maybe you live alone and you don't have a spouse or kids or anyone else to enjoy meals with, but here are some ways that you can feel connected. So one of the things that I actually suggest is that people create an eating buddy. So, you know, a lot of people have a running partner or an exercise partner, they carpool. We have different things in our culture where we believe it's better to do them with someone else. And we make a commitment to do that when we do those things. But for some reason, with food, we don't. And, you know, even if we're on the phone or we're talking to somebody, we'll say, okay, I'm going to let you go because I'm going to eat. And it's like, no, no, keep them on. I mean, it sounds weird and it sounds kind of against our manners, the way that we were brought up, but it's actually better, you know, to enjoy that. So I'll tell people, like, worst case scenario, you know, you're home alone eating or you're at the office eating or whatever, Skype somebody, like FaceTime somebody and, you know, enjoy a cup of tea with them or coffee or be with them while you're eating. It's much better psychologically. Or, you know, actually schedule it in, like, you know, just as you would with someone who you're going to exercise with or play cards with or do anything else with schedule in time to eat with people. And it, it really has a lot of great benefits psychologically, emotionally, and, you know, later on in terms of incorporating nutrients in our bodies. 
you know, as you're saying this, and I it can embrace it in terms of all of our different stages of life right now, but I'm thinking of elderly people, my mother having moved now into a personal care home, and of course, they eat in a larger dining room, there's always people around, and I'm seeing that now, as you talk about this, Amy, that that has its very positive elements. Yes, it really does. The socialization, they found studies, you know, they said that we need three people to be able to confide in in our lives that we could just, you know, if we have a problem, we could just call and being together at the table does that. You know, it it sends a a subconscious message that we're not alone because we're not meant to be alone. And so, you know, that, that everything's okay. And so that's one of the great things. And I highly recommend it. And there are movements, but we haven't necessarily embraced all of them. For example, there are a lot of you know, restaurant concepts and cafes that have opened up that have these communal tables, but people still go to the communal table in the restaurant and they sit there with their computers and they don't ever even say hi to the person next to them. <laughs> so that's not necessarily what the communal table is supposed to encourage, you know, talking and uh, correspondence and that kind of thing, camaraderie. Right. Yes, that's really counterproductive, but that is on the rise. So thank you for making us conscious of that so that we get to a restaurant like that. Set the computer aside, set the phone aside, and uh, try and make eye contact and engage in a conversation. Right, and blame it on me. You know, people (laughs) think it's weird because they're not used to people talking in the cafe. Just say, hey, you know, I heard these ladies on the radio and they said this is good for you. So how are you today? (laughs) Exactly. Now, the other part of this that we can really plan for and maybe get a good foothold on, if we start during the summer when the weather is better, and you were telling me earlier, July is a very special month. Exactly. July is National Picnic Month, and I just love picnics because you get the benefit of, you know, eating together, but also eating outdoors. There's just something so special and rewarding about, you know, being outdoors. And it actually, health-wise, they found that 30 minutes of exposure to fresh air every day has more positive effect on the brain than most antipsychotic drugs. So 30 minutes of fresh air can do a lot for our psyche. And it's fun, too. And it's a great way to eat communally. And it's not too fancy. You don't have to worry about different things. You can put together a picnic really quickly with uh, minimal effort. So I highly recommend the picnics. So this is a way that we can also tie in so well the Mediterranean lifestyle. The foods are so easy, really, to create and take outdoors, either into our backyard or take over to a park somewhere, correct? Right. And, you know, worst case scenario, if someone's really in a hurry and they just want to do a picnic, you know, you could throw together some great like whole grain bread and olives and almonds, some cheese, you know, fresh fruit or vegetables, a salad, something like that would be a great way to spend an afternoon or an evening. Uh, But in the book, I give some also some fun recipes in case people want to try something different. And for example, I have a peach, uh, black bean and citrus salsa which is really fun and fresh, delicious in the holidays. And my, one of my requirements when I do the books is I want them to be healthful second. And what I mean by that is I want them to just be great, delicious, fresh recipes that people would love to eat and that not to even think about them being healthy. And then afterwards to realize, you know, oh, yeah, these are great for me, too. So, you know, if you make these recipes for your friends or you go out to an event, you don't have to say these are diabetes-friendly recipes. You can just make them and people will be like, oh, yeah, that's good and healthy and light. And then afterwards you can tell them, oh, yeah, by the way, they're really good for this. So I have that salsa, and I recommend um, an apple beet and carrot slaw with a blood orange vinaigrette that's delicious, also in the summertime, and easy to carry because it doesn't have anything you know, that will spoil in it. 
And then I do this fun dip, if people like dips, it's roasted beet, tahini, and Greek yogurt. And it's just great, packed with niacin and protein and also vitamins, a lot of antioxidants in that dip. And it's a lovely pinkish purple kind of a color. And if you want to get really fancy, you could make my whole wheat pita that's in the bread. Or if you just want to, you know, pick up some some pita or some crudite, that's a great thing to have with a dip as well. So those are a couple of the recipes that I recommend in the book. But I think a lot of them would do really well outside. Most of them, you know, just kind of thumbing through this amazing cookbook is the pictures really make everything look so enticing. And it really helps us to kind of get a visual of what we're aiming towards. I know I always appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Kate. You know, the pictures for me are so important in cookbooks because especially when you're dealing with a cuisine that some people might not really know what it is. You know, the word Mediterranean gets thrown around a lot, and some people wonder, well, is it Italian? Is it Spanish? Is it Greek? Is it just from this one island? Is it just a word that we use whenever we put feta cheese on something? Like, what really is Mediterranean? So I put a lot of thought into the pictures, and I wanted to represent a lot of the different countries within the region because, and and I may differ with some other Mediterranean diet advocates in, in this topic, but I believe that, you know, all of the, the countries that are part of the Mediterranean basin have a, a lot to say within the Mediterranean lifestyle. And I, I had the pleasure of living and working in a lot of places, including North Africa, which often gets left out of the Mediterranean lifestyle discussion. And so I include, for example, recipes from Morocco, Egypt, and Tunisia, as well as the more common ones like Italy and Greece and Spain and Turkey. And I have, you know, a lot of memoir in there from living and working in different places and also personal family recipes from the south of Italy where my family hails from. So mentioning Egypt and thus thinking of Egyptian food, what pops out? I, I can't even imagine what that is. Oh, sure. So in Egypt, they have a lot of great plant-based food produce. Some of the best produce I've ever had in my life has cultivated in Egypt. They can have great fruit. They have great vegetables. They do, for example, wonderful stuffed vegetables with rice. They use a ton of fresh herbs and everything. So everything they make, whether it's stuffed vine leaves or stew or some kind of of salad, will, will usually always have parsley, mint, and cilantro in it, maybe dill instead of the cilantro, but usually that three combination of herbs. And when I say they use the herbs, I don't mean teaspoonfuls, I mean like cupfuls. So everything has a lot of flavor because they also have some smoky spices like coriander and cumin that they add into different dishes. So, you know, rice-based dishes, stews, delicious fruit-based drinks, and, um, you know, wonderful desserts, rice pudding. I think I, the Egyptian, the rice pudding that I have in here is an Egyptian version, but they have really, really delicious things. And in the north, like in uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean where Alexandria is, they have great seafood tradition and really helpful, but yet still very flavorful dishes. So we can have this amazing culinary experience of all these worldly dishes and be doing such healthy things for our bodies. Definitely. Definitely. I, I kind of like to think of it as like a culinary vacation on a plate because uh-huh. You know, you can decide whether you want it to be a Turkish theme or an Italian theme or a Greek theme or a specific place within one of those countries and yet, you know, enjoy really great food. And no one will know that it's healthful or that it's diabetes friendly. And I know that sounds weird to say nobody will know. But when I started out cooking classes, I actually, if I would say that something was healthy or, you know, in the top of the class, nobody would come. So I would say, okay, it's Sicilian, it's 
uh, Provencal, it's Egyptian, it's, and they would sell out. And then at, when people were in the class, then I would say, oh, by the way, these are all diabetes-friendly recipes, or these are all heart-healthy diabetes-friendly <laughs> recipes. These are all gluten-free. These are, and, you know, people would learn that way. So that, that's kind of fun, and, and, I, and I still carry through with it because if people just have this really bad image of what healthy food looks like. And there's great healthful food out there, so it's, it's a shame. So these hundreds of pages of this gorgeous cookbook are all healthy foods. They're going to be so great for us, nutritious, look great, and they're really quite simple. The preparation really, you know, as I've skimmed through some of them, it doesn't really take a lot, especially when you're dealing with the vegetables and the salads that you put together. Exactly. This is the second edition of my third cookbook, which was um, the, the first version of the Mediterranean Diabetes Cookbook, and it was a bestseller for the American Diabetes Association. So we decided to, you know, create an expanded version. And in the expanded version, I added a lot of recipes, but I also took some out and updated some. And the ones that I took out were really the ones that were a little bit more laborious. I love to cook, and I like to promote cooking as a social activity. It's a fun way for people to be together, and is you know an important commitment to our health and our life. And you know, if I spend twenty hours a day in the kitchen, it, it doesn't bother me at all. It's actually what I enjoy. But I realize that there are a lot of people that, you know, don't feel that way yet. And while I'm trying to sing the praises of being in the kitchen, it's also really important for people to have things that they can do quickly. So that was one of the things that I wanted to bring forward and explain in this book and, you know, give offerings and also to honor a lot of the ingredients. Because, you know, if you're working with great, good quality, you know, local produce, you don't have to do a lot with it to make it taste great. And, you know, just to, to kind of coax the flavor, but also to coax the nutrition out of them. And, you know, when I started, my mother had diabetes when I was growing up. And so I was the family cook and I had to make our food fit into her lifestyle plan. And when I was young, you know, a lot of what that meant was cutting things out and omitting things. And, okay, we can't have this and we can't have that. What can we have? And trying to make the most out of what we can have. But then, you know, somewhere around six or seven years ago, it occurred to me, okay, how can we get the most nutritional bang for our buck? Like, what are the things that are really the most nutritious for us, like the cruciferous vegetables and, you know, seeds and legumes? And then how can I make them taste the best? And then how can I incorporate, for example, for this book, the nutrients that are the best for people with diabetes? And so, you know, that's what I started doing. And the book is quite new, but it's now very readily available through all of our favorite book sources. And we can really learn a lot more about it and get, you know, kind of review some of the pages if we look at your website, right, Amy? Thank you. Yes. So my website is amyriolo.com and that's spelled A-M-Y-R-I-O-L-O.com. And there you can find information about my books, my culinary tours, um, some of the events that I do, and also you have access to my blog. There are a lot of recipes and ideas on the blog as well that you can access, and all of my social media is accessible through there. And the book is available, again, on Amazon and also through the diabetes website, so it's shopdiabetes.org. And I also recommend that people go to, if, if anybody listening or has anyone in their family who has diabetes or um does have diabetes themselves to actually go on the diabetes.org website because there are wonderful resources. Something new that we've created is the Diabetes Food Hub. And this Diabetes Food Hub uh, incorporates so many easy ideas, planners, things that people can just take and run. All of those questions people have with diabetes, like, you know, how many carbs should I be eating per meal and how many grams of this and that. Within the cookbook itself, it gives all of the nutritional 
equivalents in the book. It gives the exchanges, it gives the calories, the fat, the potassium, the cholesterol, protein, things like that. But some people might have trouble putting together an entire meal. So this diabetes food hub really lays them out for them. And we actually created a Mediterranean meal planner on the hub to complement the book. So people could go there and just get, you know, if they want a week's worth of recipes from my book that fit into the diabetes way of life, diabetes friendly way of eating, they can just download that. And this is something that I was a little bit hesitant to do because I like the Mediterranean lifestyle because it gives everyone, you know, access and they're free to choose whatever they want. But I found that there are a lot of people who, in the beginning at least, have trouble choosing, you know, uh, what and just kind of want a plan. So there's a plan in there that they can go ahead and download and and get started. You know, while we don't want to be sick, the goal is to be healthy. When one is sick, what a great time to be dealing with it because of these kinds of resources being available and helping us really instantly not having to wait to see a doctor, see a a nurse practitioner, that sort of thing. Isn't this great? It really is good timing. And, you know, we we don't mention it often enough. It doesn't give the attention that it deserves. When I started you know, it was before the internet, first of all, so that wasn't available. But also, these types of cookbooks weren't available. You know, the, the quote-unquote healthy cookbooks that were available back then were just plain salads. I mean, there was nothing, maybe broiled chicken. And it was bleak, and it was difficult, and it was sterile, and it was not something enticing at all. Nowadays, we have, you know, scores and scores of wonderful cookbooks and recipes from all genres. And we have um, these resources that are easily available and, you know, a a movement where people kind of want to be healthy and, and, and appreciate that and respect that you're not weird if you're eating well. And so, you know, there's no time like the present to be able to enjoy this kind of thing. And it really is, you know, enjoyable. And that's what I want to get out to people. Like, it's, it seems like it's a hassle because it's a little bit of effort in the beginning. But once you get into it, it becomes such a nice part of life that you won't want to give it up. And that's the point of it, too, is while, as you said earlier on, Amy, while this says diabetes cookbook and it has that stamp of approval from the American Diabetes Association, it's really healthy eating for all of us and will keep us healthy. Right. That's exactly the key. That was my goal. And I, I appreciate you saying for that, because that is the um, the scope of the book. Right. And so it can be fun and a way to to really have a great time this summer. So to underscore July being picnic month, we should really take this book in hand and, and use it as a great tool to find some great and fun recipes to have a way to connect with family and friends and just really enjoy each other and uh, be healthy. That's right. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Well, you've given us the tools and certainly the inspiration as we're talking about food and health and nutrition this morning, Amy. The book really has then these insights into some of the background of the region and again, you know, underscoring the the pictures really, I think, gives us great impetus to move along that path. That's great. And so let's mention your website again and, and the great resources there. Sure. It's amyriolo.com. So that's spelled A-M-Y-R-I-O-L-O.com. And from there, you can get to my YouTube channel, all of my social media channels, uh, my blog, and I have a lot of free re- resources for everybody, um, diabetes-friendly and, you know, otherwise on uh, both of those. Right. 
So just a a little bit of focus into the diabetes part of it, things that we should maybe avoid if we don't want to get into that kind of a health issue. We hear about sugars, we think about sugars. Is that really then the culprit? Sugar is part of the culprit, but also, you know, carbs um, that aren't great can be um, culprits. And actual a lot of foods have hidden sugars in them. So it's not necessarily, to me, it's not the, the sugar itself, but it's a lot of the processed and a lot of the, the packaged foods that have hidden ingredients that we might not think of um, that get us into trouble. Because most people know to kind of stay away from sugar and to stay away from desserts, and I, I feel like that's under control. But there are a lot of hidden things. So, you know, just to remind people, nearly half of American adults have diabetes or prediabetes. And when I started this, it was one in 10. Now it's half. So one in two American adults have diabetes or prediabetes. And, you know, that's more than epidemic level. I feel like if we heard this statistic about another country, we'd be sending them aid. But yet it's here, you know, in our own country. More than 30 million adults and children have diabetes. And every 21 seconds, another individual is diagnosed with diabetes in the U.S. So a lot of people are affected by this. And with the things to watch out for um, in the beginning, especially that are hidden, are in any packaged food. So, you know, sugars can go by other names, whether they're, you know, corn syrup or, you know, alternative um, sugars or things like that. There are a lot of different names, whether they end in OSE, for example, or, or otherwise brand names that have sugars in them. And our bodies don't know the difference between real sugar and um, artificial sugar, artificial sweetener. So it just thinks it's sweet. So it sets us up to crave more sweetness. And that's where we kind of get into trouble because that sets up the addiction in our body. So the more, as a general base, the more plant-based foods, the more raw things, the more fresh things that we can get and make ourselves where we actually see what goes into the food, the better. So my top three are vinaigrettes uh, or salad dressings, pasta sauces or sauces in general, and stocks or broth because those three things have a ton of sugar, sodium, chemicals, different things, depending upon the brand, of course, and what you buy. They can have a lot of additives um, that we don't necessarily need. And these things take minutes for us to make uh, on our own, sometimes even you know one minute, and it'll be done if you're talking about a salad dressing. Get yourself a good quality extra virgin olive oil. If you can do that with a little bit of lemon juice, um, a little bit of a good quality vinegar instead of, you know, a bottle dressing, that's a great, great thing for your salad because what happens is then the good qualities of the olive oil, which have anti-inflammatory effects and other great nutrients in them, will actually enhance the nutrients that are in the salad that you're eating. So you get the benefit of the salad or, or the vegetables or whatever, you know, fish or whatever you're eating. Then you get the benefits of the olive oil and you get a, and a third benefit of having the olive oil coax more nutrients out of those particular foods. So that's a great, great way to start. The other one is pasta sauces. You know, my, on my blog and my book and online, you can find, you know, many recipes to do your own pasta sauce in literally the time that it takes to boil up the pasta. So this is a fresh thing that's free of sugar, free of chemicals, free of sodium, and you can control the flavor. It's going to taste much better. So I highly recommend people do that for themselves. It's, um, you know, a five-minute step, but you can make, in that five minutes, you can make enough for, you know, two months and freeze it and, um, and not have to buy the jarred sauces again. Um, the third one is stocks or, or broth. So in a lot, of the, a lot of the soups, a lot of the ingredients that have these stocks, there are a lot of hidden uh, sodium. Even the reduced, quote-unquote, reduced sodium still have more sodium than we need per our daily allowance. 
So a lot of, for example, if I were to use a purchased stock in a lot of my recipes in the book, they would not have qualified uh, nutritionally. Like they would have gotten, you know, shot out for having too much sodium and not be able to be included in the book. But I believe in making your own stocks anyway. So to make your own vegetable stock, you know, you throw a handful of ingredients in a pot, bring it to boil, and you don't have to do anything to it. In 30 minutes, you've got a great stock. If you were to add an onion, a stick of celery, a carrot, and a few black peppercorns, maybe a bay leaf, you know, if you want to get fancy. And that's all it takes. And then if you want to make a chicken stock, you would add in preferably pre-roasted bones, like from a rotisserie chicken or something, or just raw bones into that. And you could cook that then for an hour or an hour and a half, two hours, depending upon how thick you want it. And you would just skim off the residue that comes to the top. And no active really cooking or anything, but you have a great chicken stock. And again, you're making these in huge quantities that then you can freeze in, for example, yogurt containers or something like that and have on hand for whenever you want to make a soup or a stew or, you know, just add some additional flavor to anything. So those are my top three things for people really to watch out for. The other thing is with each meal to make sure that there's a balance of protein and fat and carbohydrates in every meal to help to be able to digest the nutrients. A lot of times people get off balance because they'll have something that just has sugar in it or a carb or it's just protein or it's just fat. But you really need to have a blend of it, you know, with a meal or with a snack. So, for example, you know, if you were having yogurt, you know, a good Greek yogurt has a protein in it. It also has healthful fat in it. And you could have a little bit of carbohydrate, meaning some fresh fruit or a nice quality whole grain piece of bread or something like that to balance it out. It doesn't have to be fancy, but just to make sure that kind of you cover the bases nutritionally with all of those is really great. And also the other thing is the drinks. You know, always choose water as much as possible over the sugary drinks. And those are easy little free switches that will make a big impact on our health. Just perfect. It makes it so simple. And to underscore how we can really incorporate it, I think we owe it to ourselves to pick up this new cookbook, the Mediterranean Diabetes Cookbook. And it's just going to give us not just a fabulous picnic month, but a fabulous rest of the year, a good life. Definitely. Thank you so much, Kate. Amy Riolo, it's been great. Thank you for being with us and doing the work you do. It's been a pleasure. Have a wonderful July.